This morning's scripture reading will be Exodus 16, verses 1 through 4, and Numbers 11, verses 5 through 9. Exodus 16, verses 1 through 4, and Numbers 11, verses 5 through 9. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from the heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Numbers 11 verses 5 through 9. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like a coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then ground it in a handmill and crushed it in a motor. They cooked it in a pot or made it into cakes, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. This is the word of the Lord. I heard the train a-coming. It's coming. You got it? (laughs) That's a good introduction. You were falling asleep over there. (laughs) It shall sound... Well, this morning I want to share from a number of um, ideas and positions that I've been thinking about, been struggling with over the last couple of weeks. A number of things have been happening, and um, one of them is I've been following, as you probably have been following, the uh, Uche, Sarah, Mercy, Daniel saga, and um, beautiful 
emails coming in, and this morning, if you saw that one, it was a little more encouraging than the one that was before. They had a, a, a good, good time, got across town and got to a church and, and uh, had some other company than what they'd been having. But a few days back, the email from uh, Sarah and Uche, um, and you probably remember this, um, was about Daniel crying and wanting to go back to the orphanage. And not realizing, of course, that he now has a mother and a father. Uh, he has a home waiting for him over here in the States. <clears throat> she said something like, she named a couple things, and I think one was a swing set in the backyard and <clears throat> those kinds of things. And then she went on to say, it's not too much different than us when we begin to follow the Lord and then we um, get led into situations where it's uh, kind of tough and circumstances don't really work out like they should or we think they should and we want to go back. We want to go back to what we know. This unknown out in front of us and, and, and following somebody that uh, our Lord that is leading us, and it's by faith, and it's not by sight, and it it just reminded me of the of these passages that um, had just been read. Uh, we we want to go back. We 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 want to go back to the known. They wanted to go back even to slavery. Um, this trek through the desert um, wasn't what they thought it ought to be. But it's interesting that, to me, I, I just wrote it this way, better to return to Egypt and slavery than trek through a desert with God. And oftentimes when we have maybe our new Christians or Christianity has been presented to us as something that will just be glorious and troubles will fall off and... and um, God's blessings will fall upon us in our health and our finances and in our relationships and everything else. It's just going to be glorious if you just trust Christ as your Savior. Well, that's really not the picture of Christianity. And today, and we'll get to it later um, in our time, but I'll sh we'll watch a video of the persecuted church. This is November 4th, and it's been set aside as a day of prayer for the persecuted church throughout the world. And so there'll be brothers and sisters all over the world praying for the persecuted church today, and we'll get to that in a moment. But think of the things that they had been given. They had the miracle of the Red Sea being parted. They had the miracle of God's finger writing out the commandments for them in stone. They, they knew that was from the hand of God. That's not something Moses did. They had an endless supply of food and manna. They had a, a cloud by day to guide them and a pillar of fire by night to protect them. It, it was an experience with God, or it was supposed to be an experience with God. They even had sandals that weren't wearing out. 
I, I got to thinking all week and last week about this idea of my own joy. Where does my joy come from? Does it come from great songs? Uh, music team, great songs. Uh, is my joy really in the Lord? Or is most of my joy and happiness as I go through my daily life in the things around me, my family, um, my experiences, my safety, my comfort, um, my friends, um, my grandchildren? Uh, where, where, where is my joy? What's it anchored in? Now, to be sure, God wants us to enjoy the things he's provided for us. And a lot of what we enjoy in America has come from our Christian heritage, and uh, we are reaping the benefits of that in our own lives, the freedoms that we have, um, the, the comfort, the financial success that we have uh, in our own lives, the, the standard of living that most of us live in. Those are... Uh, Blessings, to be sure, that have come from uh, the hand of God. But it, I, he doesn't want those things to become idols to us. Uh, can we live without them? What, I, I, keep, I ask myself, what would my life be if my family members turned on me? How, how would my joy be if basic love relationships that I've enjoyed all my life suddenly aren't there. There's a void. Would I still have joy? How about the comfort and safety that I live in? Would I, would I still have joy in my life if those things were taken away from me? And I think that's a good question to ask ourselves. And I, I think it's a, a, a good question to wrestle with. It's not a comfortable feeling. It's not a comfortable question, really, in my own life. But I, I have to admit that I, I think that I come up real short in my joy being based on a love relationship with my Savior. Um, I, I have not been placed in the circumstances that uh, many people throughout the world have been placed in. And even those of you here, uh, pain and suffering and, and uh, heartache and broken relationships and those kinds of things. I, I, I haven't been placed in those things, so I, there's really, uh, I, I just kind of have to wonder at them but I, but I do question in my own heart and confess before you that um, I, I think I'm wanting in the area of having my joy come from the Lord. Now, there's reasons for that, um, and there's reasons to, uh, and there's uh, ways to increase that joy, and we talk about them quite a bit, getting in the word more, prayer more. Uh, being quiet more, uh, listening to the Lord more, um, and those and and 
and understanding his word better and understanding who he is better. Um, and so I'm, I'm encouraging myself to, to do those things more so I'll have uh, more joy in the Lord, to get to know him and depend on him and love him more. I hope that I can do that without him having to take my idols away from me, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because our family can become an idol. It, it can have first place. You remember the man, the rich man that came to the Lord and he said, what must I do to be saved? And the Lord said, sell everything, uh, give it to the poor and follow me. And the guy went away because he had much wealth. Well, the Lord doesn't require that every time of everybody. But, but in, in that sense, but he does require that in the sense that if we're going to come to Christ and be followers of Christ, we've got to be ready to hand over to him everything we have. And sometimes that's family, and sometimes that's finance, sometimes that's health, sometimes that's whatever. And so... Um, this walk through the desert for them was meant to be a time of joy, a time of celebration that God's hand was going to lead them through difficult circumstances. Uh, most of them missed that. They whined and complained and, and wanted not so much the presence of God, but safety and security and comfort and the lack of hardship and challenge and heartache. Uh, but God was trying to show them in life, um, life circumstances are not always good, uh, but God is always good and he's always there and he will always supply. He will not give us more than we can bear. He tells us that. He promises that in Scripture. And so that security and that comfort that only comes from God uh, will be there for us if we're true followers of Christ, no matter what the circumstances are like. Now, Paul says an interesting thing, and we've all heard it, and, we, and I kind of grapple with it sometimes. He said, I've, lived, I've learned to live in, with plenty, and I've learned to live in want. I think sometimes that learning to live in a real close relationship with the Lord is easier in want. Um, we will look and, and think about the persecuted church and what, and what that actually does. There was another event that happened that a couple weeks ago in my life and some of your life. Um, you got to hear Miracle talk about his two-year stint in Africa, in, in Guinea, Africa. And... And about that situation, and I've been thinking about that ever since he, he, he spoke to us at a men's breakfast. 1,100 people village, approximately the same size as this area, um, all Muslim, pretty much 100% Muslim, and not just lackadaisical Muslim, Muslims that prayed every day at their times of prayer, Muslims that fasted and and did what they were supposed to do in those other times of celebration, all as a unit. In that community, um, Miracle said that um, you could leave your bike anywhere and it wouldn't be stolen, that people weren't running around stealing stuff from you. Uh, it was a very homogeneous um, 
setting. And that he was appreciated. He had come there from America. I, well, we asked him, how about, what do they think about America? He said, oh, they love us to come and, and help them, come and teach. He's there to teach in a school. How about the conflict? Well, he said there's political conflict uh, around, but as far as the village is concerned, the little town, as far as any conflict over their religion and those kind of ideas, no conflict. There isn't any um, other competing religious thought. They've all bought into this one thought. And so, quite frankly, it's a pretty comfortable place to be. It's a pretty happy culture. And then you have to stop and think about where are they going to spend eternity? Happy now, but not later. No joy in the Lord because they don't know the Lord. So if you were to bring Christianity, if you were to bring the gospel in and live there with that gospel, and over a period of time, people would begin to follow Christ and give their lives to Christ, what would happen? The same thing that happened in Acts, in Iconium, and Lystra. One town after another where Paul preached the gospel. He would come into a town and go to the synagogue, and they would all come out to hear him, and, and it, they loved his teaching, and then they would, uh, many of them would give their lives to Christ. And the more he taught, the more they realized that the life in Christ and the old Jewish ways didn't go together. And what happened in every town they preached the gospel? Conflict. Conflict. Families. We see it all over the world where the gospel comes into a culture that is not Christian, it creates conflict. Now, it creates peace and joy and happiness in the life of the people that come to Christ because now they're in Christ. But as far as the circumstances that they live in, hmm, it gets disruptive. I thought about, I, obviously in miracles, talking about living with these people for two years and how much, he, how much he come to appreciate them and love them. We talked about it a little bit this morning, Miracle and I. The reality is we have to love their souls more than their happiness, their present-day happiness. That's what Christianity is. It's a battle for the soul of people so that their sins can be forgiven so they can spend eternity with Christ. Now, that's not necessarily a gospel that it falls on the ears around the world that brings peace and happiness and blessings. 
oftentimes it brings heartache and broken families. But in the midst of that, and we'll see um, in this little, we'll show a little um, video. In the midst of that, there's joy and there's happiness and there's peace in their lives. Um, Patty and I um, bought a packet of, um, from the Voice of the Martyrs to share with you. Uh, we have some of these magazines, and we'll take them to the other room this morning and, and put them in there. There's a few of them. If, you're, if you don't already subscribe to this, I would encourage that you do. And there are some DVDs, uh, copies of the DVDs we'll show in a little bit in there and, and some other literature. And um, I would just encourage you to keep up with the persecuted church around the world. Because it brings a whole new perspective on our Christianity. And it's something I think we need in America to be really aware of. Because it seems that the the idea that becoming a Christian in America, that gospel is going to bring you peace and prosperity and comfort. That's not really what the gospel of Jesus Christ does around the world. And oftentimes it doesn't do it in our own homes. Because as a follower of Christ, you walk a different path. Now, should you live at peace with all men as much as with you? Yes. It should make you kind. It should make you forgiving. It should make you reach out to those that, that don't understand. I want to read just a little uh, excerpt from an article in here of Peter Jasek, who spent uh, over a year in prison just in 2015. Um, He was in Sudan, and he was working, and and, uh, they were establishing churches, and he was encouraging other pastors and, and whatnot, and he had a translator, and And they were going around and they were helping. He went to get on the airport and come home. He was at the airport and getting in line to board to come home. And he got tapped on the shoulder and said, follow me. And he thought, oh, yes, need some security. There's something, you know, I'll go check it out and we'll go see this. Well, when he got into this little room, they started showing uh, photographs of him in all over Sudan wherever he traveled, talking to this person and that person and, and meeting with some people here. And, that. and then he realized that he'd been under surveillance for the whole time, and they were building a case against him. Um, and so he ends up in prison. And it takes over a year to even get to trial. In the meantime, he's in, he's in uh, a cell with ISIS fellows, and he is beaten by them, almost killed by them. Uh, he's finally got out of that cell and put someplace else. But the thing that just kind of tugged at my heart is when, when I could just sense that. You're in the airport, you're going to see your family in a matter of hours, you're flying home, and all of a sudden, you're in a jail cell. And you don't know 
what your family knows. You don't know if they know you've been arrested. They don't know if you've died. They don't, and you don't know. You can't communicate with them. You're just suddenly cut off from your family. And he tells in this article how how hard that was, and how that when he would think about his family, he'd begin to cry. Um, but there come a point in his life. He was he was uh, arrested as on the 10th of the month, uh, that was when he was, he was arrested on the 10th. And so every time the 10th of the next month would come, he would get depressed. And another month, another in prison. There's a number of things that happened to him in prison, and it, you can read it in the article, but on the 10th of this month, new prisoners from Atria, a country I had visited for VOM, Voice of the Martyrs. They had been captured while passing through Sudan, and they fled their oppressive as they fled their oppressive homeland. After getting to know them a little, I shared my testimony and introduced them to the gospel. Several of the Atrians listened closely, and two of them made a decision to follow Christ. The next morning, all fourteen were transferred out of prison, and I never saw them again. But I'm confident that I'll see at least two of them in heaven. The Lord had turned the 10th of the month, normally a day of discouragement and depression, into a day of ministry and celebration. From that day forward, I dedicated my prison time to the Lord. If you will allow me opportunities to share the gospel, I will stay here as long as you want. I experienced a radical change of my heart. No longer fretting about my trial and how long I would be in prison. In fact, I even stopped praying that I would be released from prison. I simply focused on the people God placed in my path each day and asked him to use me to build his kingdom while I was in prison. Yeah. Wow. You know, you go, what happens if everything is taken away? My plans, my family, my my whatever. Is my joy going to be in the Lord? And he struggled with that. And he struggled with his obedience. And yet he finally came to the point where he said, Lord, if you want to leave me in prison the rest of my life, I'll minister to whoever you bring me. Pretty amazing. Let's, let's watch this video and then I'll have some closing remarks. Hallelujah,
Today in Pakistan, we Christians are second-class citizens. Though we have committed no crime, we are ostracized and banished to the lowest place in society. Often we are forced to leave our villages and our own homes. We cannot get good jobs. And we have no voice in government. What is left for us is servitude. Sewage work. And we know we will never advance. church, a place where Christians come together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to sing His praise, to study His Word. For while our country has turned its back on us, God has not. Sometimes it is not easy. The loss, the injustice. So please remember to pray for us. That we will continue to live together in fellowship. That we will continue to see the joy of the Lord in our lives that we will persevere in our faith no matter the cost. And please remember, we are praying for you. Hebrews chapter 13, if you turn with me there. I want to call your attention to the artwork as well today. It couldn't be better said if you look in your bulletin, Micaiah. 
It's God's secret plan to spread the gospel all over the world. Yes, it is. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Acts 8, 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Hebrews 13, chapter 1. Let the love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in that body. We are one in Christ in the body. And what can we do? We can pray for them. I came a lot across the little story of a, of a nurse who was uh, helping a, a man who was kind of bitter and disgruntled and had no purpose in life. And she said, you need to learn how to pray. And she said, let me show you on my hand how you need to learn to pray. She said, if you hold up your hand like this, the thumb closest to you are those people around you. And so... Pray for the people around you, uh, your family, your close friends. The next finger is a pointing and an instructing finger. And she said, pray for those that have instructed you. Pray for those that have taught you in school, that have, that have instructed you maybe in church or wherever. Hold them up in prayer, uh, those teachers and those mentors that you have had. Hold them up in prayer. The next finger is the tallest. And she said, this stands for the very important people in this world. We are to pray for those in authority over us. God asked that. He said, this finger here is the weakest, and not only the weakest with me, it's also fouled up. But she said, that reminds us to pray for the weakest people. And I am thinking about that right here as those in prison and those that are ill-treated. Pray for them and hold them up. And then you guessed it. What's the little pinky? What's the smallest? What's the least? He said, now you can pray for yourself. And I thought, that's a, that's a pretty good pattern for prayer. And, and I would encourage you, I'm going to bring some things over to the other room. And uh, if there's some of you that want to kind of um, partner with us and pray for the persecuted church, uh, and kind of hold each other accountable to that, we'd be glad to do that. Thank you, Jerry. We're going to sing one more song before we dismiss here today. But it truly is a prayer.